Hello everyone, my name is Andrew and I'll be doing the second Bible reading today and it'll be from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 to 15. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor we do distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And this is the word of Lord. Hi, my name's John and happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. We are continuing our series on 2 Corinthians and in our passage today we read of jars of clay. What does that mean? Well, let's turn to God and ask him for his help. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word will do your work in our hearts as we sit under your word and as we apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I would like you to picture with me in your mind someone who has been living the guilt of a messy and broken life, addicted to alcohol and gambling and broken family relationships, and then to completely turn around to have that guilt removed the consequences of the former life might still be around, but no longer living with that overbearing guilt. Or picture someone who was once living with the shame that should not see the light of day, lived a promiscuous life with the emotional scars of moving from relationship to relationship, and then to completely turn around, to begin a life of faithfulness and of commitment, and the shame somewhat washed clean. Or picture... Someone who was once a gangster, a leader of a violent gang who plotted to kill an innocent man, who hated everything about God and hated everyone who talked about God, but then for his life to completely turn around, for his heart to soften towards God 
and to spend the rest of his life serving God. How can such a change come about in any person's life? How can the human soul be so moved and restored and renewed? Well, it is the story of every single Christian. And of course, every Christian has a different story and a different experience. But that is what happens. Moving from night to day, from darkness to light and from death to life. See, the story of the gangster was not a made-up one. It was the story of George Palmer. He grew up being told that he'll amount to nothing, that he'll end up on the streets. And when his father suddenly died when he was seven and a half in 1949, he got really angry with God. He went out to the top paddock and he screamed, I hate you, God, and I'll never love you. And that started, that hatred started to grow in him like a cancer. And it took over him. By 17, he became a leader of a violent gang. And he thought about hurting people. And that's all he thought about. Now, it was 1959 and he heard about Billy Graham. And he hated everything about Billy Graham and everything he stood for because he hated God. He hated Christianity. And so when the Crusades came around, the ten in his gang, they plotted to kill Billy Graham. And so they went to one of these crusades prepared with guns. And they thought, well, we'll wait for the appeal so that we can get close enough to kill him. But what happened that night was that he felt so uncomfortable. He felt like God was talking to him. Why are you here? And as Billy Graham preached, his heart started to melt. And he came to know that night that God loved him. And he never cried since he was seven and a half. But that night he cried. He wept and wept and wept. And when the appeal came, he left his gun on the ground and he went up. Nine out of the ten gangsters that night were converted. They came to know God. They came to know forgiveness. They came to understand love. And they came to find eternal life. And George's life, it was turned around. Eight years later, he became a Salvation Army officer and served for over 30 years. Now, how can such a change happen in anyone's life, in any soul? Well, it is what Paul speaks of in this passage. It is by the indestructible message of the gospel that is carried by dispensable messengers. And so first we see in this passage, the human soul, the human heart can be moved from death to life by the message of the gospel. The good news of sins forgiven, of shame washed, the dead brought back to life because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message. And that was the message that the Apostle Paul continued to proclaim and proclaim and proclaim. He did not give up in doing so. Look at verse 1 with me. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, that is the ministry of proclaiming Christ, we do not lose heart. And that gospel message cannot and must not ever be changed in any way. And that's what Paul says next. He says, you don't peddle with it. That's the word he uses. You don't distort it. You don't dilute it. You don't tamper with the gospel in any way. You see, the gospel message is an offensive message, especially today with all the political correctness going on. 
No one wants to be told that we're unworthy of God or that I'm a sinner in need of a saviour or that there is a day of judgment. You see, it's far more palatable to say everyone's going to heaven. doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. Well, that is to peddle with the gospel. That is to distort the gospel. Or it's easy to say there is no such thing as sin and judgment, but that is to distort and corrupt the gospel. And so Paul says he will have none of that. Look at verse 2. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. See, the Corinthian church, they were being won over by a distorted gospel by these itinerant preachers who came along, who, who taught something that was perhaps far more politically correct. But the Apostle Paul will have none of it. It is only the message of the gospel that can change a soul. Now, I suspect many of us know that. We know the gospel can change a life. But why is it then that not everyone's heart is changed when they hear the gospel? Why is it that not everyone comes to know God, the joy of his love, the comfort of his peace? Why is it that not everyone sees what seems to be so clear to so many of us? Well, what Paul goes on to say now is perhaps something we may not realize, but it is important for us to know. We all have family and friends who are not yet believers, and we've been praying for them for years, hoping that they'll come to see what we see about God, but it hasn't happened yet. Why? Well, it's not because the gospel is complicated and hard to understand. And certainly not because you need some level of intellect to understand the gospel. But it is because there is a spiritual blindness. And we're told here the devil is involved. The devil opposes nothing in this world. We get to do whatever we want. He doesn't mind if we meditate, go for it, go for materialism, go for it, moralism, be good, be moral, go for it. He won't oppose that. What he opposes is Christ proclaimed as Lord. Believe in him and be saved. He will fight hard to prevent that from happening. He'll stop even one soul from seeing and believing. He'll work hard. And that's the reason why not everyone is a believer. It's because the devil is working to create this spiritual blindness. And that's what Paul goes on to say. Look at verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, that's why not everyone sees it. It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, that is the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now what do you think understanding that should get us to do? Well, it should drive us to our knees because who has the power to change the human heart? Who has the power to give sight to the blind? Who has the power to give life to the spiritually dead? Well, only God has that power. In fact, it requires the creative power of God, the same power that was on display at creation when God said, let there be light, and there was light. When God said, let there be Birds in the sky and fishes in the sea and animals to roam the earth. And it was so. It is that same power that is required to change the human heart, to change the human soul. And that is what happens when the gospel message is believed. And it is this message that Paul was constantly on about 
Look at verses 5 and 6. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that is exactly what happened to you when you first believed. Not because we're smart enough and worked out the Christian faith. That's why we believe. And it's not because we read widely enough and we're thoughtful and that's why we believe. No. But it was by the creative power of God who shines his light into our hearts and makes us see that I'm a sinner. And there's no way I'll stand on my own two feet when I meet God. So I'll need a saviour. See, it is God who takes away the spiritual blindness, who enables us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that's what happens each and every time anyone becomes a believer. It is the work of God. It was exactly what happened in all those crusades that Billy Graham spoke at. As he preached the gospel, God worked in the hearts of the hearers. It was what happened in the heart of George Palmer that night. God shone his light upon his heart to see Jesus as Lord, that he might surrender himself to him. And so how can anyone change the human heart, the human soul? What's required from blindness to sight, from death to life? Well, it's not us, but it is the indestructible gospel message. But this message is carried by messengers. In fact, dispensable messengers. And the picture we're given here is of cheap clay jars, a cheap vessel. The purpose of jars that you buy in a marketplace is not to draw attention to itself like the fine china stuff, but to carry the stuff inside. What's important is what's on the inside, the treasure. It's like you use a plastic cup to drink coffee or a ceramic cup. It tastes the same. The cup is just a vessel. But of course, Paul is here speaking of Christians, of people. We do wrong when we draw attention to ourselves and not attention to the gospel we carry. In fact, it's been the downfall of many Christian leaders and ministers and pastors when successes and pride gets the better of them. Never elevate a pastor. They're only ordinary clay jars. You see, even Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of the last century, he himself said, I'm only a messenger to proclaim a message that I believe has within it the power to change lives. He was just a clay jar. Now, why do you think this is important to understand? That in the sovereign purposes of God, that you're a clay jar and I'm a clay jar. It is so that Every single soul that is saved, it is not because of the eloquence of our words or the logic of our arguments or the charisma of our speech. It is the power of God. It is God's job to save and the glory is his alone. You see, we're mere messengers who carry the life-saving message. And that's what we see, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, if we understand that correctly, 
then that should be of great encouragement to us. It certainly has been for me to know that I'm just merely a clay jar. I still remember on the first Sunday after my induction as the minister of our church, I expressed to you, the congregation, that you cannot expect me to be perfect, nor can I expect you to be perfect. But what you can expect is that I'll be inadequate and frail and weak and limping and broken by God. That is what you can expect. And why? Well, what's the comfort we see from this passage? Well, weakness and frailty and brokenness is no barrier to being used by God. You see, you can be the most unattractive clay jar, but you're still useful. You might be a clay jar that's a bit lopsided and formed not so well, but still useful. You might have a little chip or crack, but still useful because you still carry the treasure. I mean, just consider the heroes of the Bible. Joseph was a prideful teenager, but was used by God powerfully. King David, in all his failures, was used by God to write the most beautiful Psalms. Jonah even ran away from God, but yet his message converted a city. Peter denied Jesus, the Apostle Paul, weakness in every way. But in all their inadequacies, frailties and brokenness, it was no barrier to usefulness in the work of God because they still carry the treasure. And that's how the Apostle Paul described his own life. Battered, beaten, broken. He describes it as, as carrying the death of Jesus in his body to suffer because of Jesus to suffer like Jesus so that there might be life to others. And he writes it here in a poetic way. Look at verses 8 to 10. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. When he was weak, the life of Jesus was displayed all the more clearly. It's just like how, how you see it in so many Christians. Have you wondered how some Christians, and you read stories of the persecuted church and how much they suffer, how did they get through it all? In Cairo three years ago, in the church bombing, family members killed, husband dead, granddaughter dead. How do you not feel despair and abandoned after that? How can you even go ahead and forgive, which was what they did? How can Christians persevere? Well, the strength does not come from them. It is the life of Jesus in them. And that was the pattern of Paul's life as a messenger, as a clay jar. We see in verses 11 and 12. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And even if in the end that clay jar is completely broken and shattered, I mean so many Christians have died because of their faith, we cannot forget that. It really puts my Christian walk in perspective. There have been so many martyrs in the last century, in fact, more martyrs in the last century than the previous 19th centuries combined. And even so, though the clay jar is completely broken and shattered in the end, 
while carrying the treasure. Notice the resurrection hope in our final verses, in verses 14 and 15. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And so how can any human soul be changed, be saved, be turned around from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive? The biggest change that anyone can experience in this life? Well, it is by the indestructible message of the gospel, but it is carried by dispensable messengers just like you and me. Now what that should at least bring to mind and hopefully challenge all our hearts is that in God's purposes in this world, even now, is that lives will be turned around just like that of George Palmer. And God in his infinite wisdom uses frail, broken vessels just like you and me. And even the little ones as they talk about God and Jesus with their friends and parents and grandparents. And what a great privilege it is to carry that treasure and so my question for us is what are we doing about it we have this in our possession the message that can change lives Billy Graham was one who clearly knew his purpose now I know for many of us when we think about him we're intimidated I mean how can we do anything like him but let me tell you about Frank Jenner a bit more close to home Nowhere near as well known as Billy, but one who believed that he too was a clay jar, quite ordinary. He was completely aware of his own weaknesses. He was once an addicted gambler and wasn't good for the family. He had persistent health problems. He was aware of his weakness. Now just before the Second World War in, in 1937, he encountered a group of men just on Collins Street here in Melbourne. They were engaged in open-air preaching. And he said to them, I'll listen to you if you listen to me. And so Frank Jenner, he, he taught them how to gamble on the pavement. But then one of the brethren invited Frank home, shared the gospel with him, and he became a Christian that night. And his life turned around. And he made a vow when he became a Christian if he could share about Jesus to at least 10 people a day. And so after that, he moved to Sydney and almost every day on George Street, he would go up to strangers and with sincerity in his eyes, and he asked with earnestness, excuse me, may I ask you a personal question? If you were to die tonight, where would you be in all eternity, heaven or hell? I'll leave you with that thought. And then he'll go to someone else, excuse me. It wasn't until 16 years later after starting doing that down George Street. A Baptist minister all the way in England, Francis Dixon, heard of testimonies of British sailors who were, who were approached by a man in Sydney and asked him that question. If you were to die tonight, where would you be in all eternity, heaven or hell? And subsequently became Christians. Now Dixon, the, the Baptist minister, he preached around the world and he used that story. And he soon discovered that there were other men and women around the world who were also asked that same question and subsequently believed. 
He heard in Adelaide, someone believed because of that. In Perth, in the Caribbean, in Atlanta, Georgia, even in India, someone heard that man ask that question in Sydney. Dixon eventually had to track down who this man was. He asked a Baptist minister in, his, in Sydney, who, who is this guy? Oh, his name is Frank Jenner. And so Dixon went to his little apartment and told him of the stories of how his question led so many to being saved. Now, Frank Jenner, tears running down his cheeks, he said, I have never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Now, Frank Jenner asked that question for 27 years, at least 10 people a day. It's estimated that he asked that question to over 100,000 people. Now, I wonder how many of those responded. Well, we'll only find out in heaven. Well, he was largely an unknown man, unlike Billy Graham. I wonder whether you've heard of him. But he was just a clay jar. He carried that treasure within and perhaps for some of you listening, that is the question you have to reflect on and answer as well. If you were to die tonight, where would you be in all eternity, heaven or hell? Do you know God? Do you know God who promises to shine his light into our hearts and be saved? Do you know Jesus who is the Savior? Or will you face God with the guilt and the shame and a life unchanged for which you'll be accountable to God for. If that is you, do not leave it. Surrender yourself to God. Plead for forgiveness. Trust in Jesus. And you'll begin a new life. But for the rest of us, perhaps now, in this time, in this season, while death and mortality is on everyone's mind, perhaps it is that time to talk about mortality. Not to be morbid, but to point to the God who can change the soul. And so how can any human soul be saved? Well, we are a church of clay jars. Some of us are cracked and broken, but we are the messengers of this indestructible gospel message that can save a soul. Let's pray that we'll be doing that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, grant us that courage of the Apostle Paul to proclaim Christ and help us see the one then, the privilege to know that we are jars of clay but we carry the gospel of life. And we pray, Lord, give us opportunities even this week to share it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.